Turn with me again in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our study in this wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul to a church which, as we understand, he had never personally visited. Many there had never seen him face to face, and yet he cared for them in such a way that he wrote very personally, very directly to their spiritual needs. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll just read uh, three verses this morning, verses 15 through 17, and our focus will be on verse 16. Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray that God would open this passage to us and that as the word of Christ is proclaimed, that it would indeed find a place in each heart and then dwell richly in each heart as we consider this word this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, which is indeed riches to us, and we pray that it would dwell richly in each heart, as each one in their own place hears this word this morning, we ask, O Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, that you would take it home. Father, send your Spirit to each heart as the word reaches the ear. May your Spirit take it home to the heart. And may it stay there. May it abide there. May it not be plucked out from there and sent running and sent away. But may it find a welcome place by your spirits converting that heart. And for your people, we ask that your word would come delightfully, not entertaining, but thrilling, feeding, nourishing the heart of each one. We ask to this end that you would work and get all glory to yourself. We plead through Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. What is your greatest treasure? If I were to ask you to go in your home to that place where you have your secret treasures hidden, what would it be? Well, maybe some don't have much of this world's goods, but I hope that you could say that my greatest treasure even greater than my own life, is the salvation that I have received from my Savior, the Lord Jesus. And the means of that salvation, the Word of God, which tells us of the Savior, that we would treasure this book, that it would indeed be, as David said, more desired than much fine gold, and that we would delight not only to hear it once a week, but that we would delight to read it and have it treasured up in our hearts day by day. Well, that's what we read here from the Apostle Paul. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Not just occasionally visit, but let it dwell there. 
Now we've seen many good things in this passage, in this paragraph of uh, the letter of Paul to the Colossians. I'm not going to recite again all of those delightful things, but just the three verses that we've read. We saw uh, last week that uh, peaceful umpire or two weeks ago it would be, the peaceful umpire of the Christian heart, that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We saw last Lord's Day, that thankful or grateful attitude of the Christian heart. He says, and be thankful, and we saw that that thanksgiving is an echo, or is something echoed throughout these three verses. We find it in verse 16, this verse, singing with thankfulness. As I explained last Lord's Day, that's a good way to translate the Greek word here. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And verse 17, giving thanks through Him, through Christ, to our God and Father. So thanksgiving should mark us, even in such dark and dismal days of being cooped up in our houses, let thanks be our portion, thanksgiving. But now we come this week to what would be actually of this whole paragraph, the seventh major note, and that is the prime source of Christian teaching and praise. What is the prime source of Christian teaching and praise? If we're going to teach, admonish, if we're going to sing, what's the source of all of that? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us here, the source of all of our teaching of all of our admonishing of all of our praising is to be the word of God the word of Christ and so he puts it in this way we'll examine this verse verse 16 under three headings first of all the imperative necessity of the indwelling word secondly the mutual ministry of the indwelling word and thirdly one means of communicating this indwelling word and that is Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are singing. And so, first of all then, we take up the imperative necessity of this word dwelling within us. And it's a command in verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. There's the essence of the command of this verse. It's an imperative in the third person. The word of Christ... Let it dwell within you. Now, when we read that kind of language, uh, as I have it in my version, let the word of Christ dwell within you, it almost sounds like it's a permission. Well, you know, we'll, we'll let it come in. Oh, well, yeah, fine, that's fine. If it wants to come in, let it, let it come in. Well, that's not the import of a third-person imperative in the Greek. It's hard to translate because for us, an imperative is a second person. You do this. Well, if we could, uh, I remember one pastor here some years ago saying it's, it's kind of like uh, the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Tonto would say, him, do this. Uh, well, I don't mean any slur on our um, Native American uh, population here, not at all. But uh, just to, to put it in the terms of old Western movies, him, do this. Uh, the word of Christ, do it. Let it do it. Not just let it do it, but it must do it. Have it dwell in your hearts. It's a command that you make a place in your heart for the word of Christ to stay there. Make it dwell. Make sure of it. See to it. We could translate. See to it that the word of Christ dwells in your hearts. Now, the... <clears throat> 
command obviously involves something that's outside of us to begin with, the word of Christ. It's the word of Christ that must dwell in your hearts. Where do you get that? It's his word. Well, he is in heaven. We are on earth. We will not hear his voice physically. We do not claim to hear voices, receive visions. We have, though, the word of Christ in the scriptures. It is the Bible that gives us the word of the Lord Jesus. It is the word, first of all, about him. John 5 and verse 39 tells us, if you want to turn there with me, I want to show you that this book in its entirety is the word of Christ. John 5 and verse 39, Jesus said to the Jews who were arguing with him, who were fighting against him, who were persecuting him, he said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. And when he speaks of the scriptures here, of course, he's referring to the scriptures of the Old Testament, which he and the Jews possessed, which he would read when he would go to the synagogue, as he did in Luke chapter 4. The scriptures of the Old Testament, he says, these have me as their subject. We see this in his words to his disciples in Luke chapter 24, which was preached by Pastor Chansky not too long ago. In a couple of passages here in this chapter, when he meets the men on the road to Emmaus, we find these words, verse 27 of Luke 24, and beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And then at near the end of the chapter, he says, as he opens up to the uh, disciples now in the upper room in verse 44, he said, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so all of the scriptures are talking about Christ. He is the subject. So the Bible is his story. So when we read the word of Christ, that's not just the New Testament. That includes the Old Testament, but surely as well it, reveal, it, it uh, includes the New and includes everything that the prophets, Old Testament and New Testament, and, they are, and the apostles wrote. 1 Peter chapter 1. It is he who inspired the scriptures. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read in verse 10, As to this salvation, that salvation that comes through Christ, the prophets, prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And so, 
is the Spirit of Christ who is inspiring those Old Testament prophecies, but now the New Testament, which speaks of those fulfilled prophecies, the Spirit of Christ was still working in the apostles. And so the Scriptures are the Scriptures of Christ, the Word of Christ. So when we think of this, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the Colossians and said to them, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. He, they did not have a completed Bible as we have now. They had their Old Testaments. They had uh, some gospel spoken accounts of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, perhaps not yet the written gospels. They had this letter of Paul, which was the word of Christ to them as well. Maybe they had some of the other letters that were circulated, as we read at the end of Colossians, but they didn't have a full Bible. We have the full word of Christ. Word about Christ, the word inspired by the Spirit of Christ, we have in our hands, and we can read and meditate. On the word of Christ. But the point is, now coming back to Colossians 3.16, don't just let it dwell on your shelf in a book. Let it dwell in your heart. You are to put it, store it up, hide it, treasure it, let it soak in, let it be at home, in your, let it find its roost here within your heart. It has a residence. It is not a visitor. It doesn't just come occasionally. It is something that stays there, if you will, to put it in uh, April 5, 2020 language. It is on lockdown with you there at home, and you're with it 24-7, like it or not, and hope you like it. Now, think of it this way. If a person comes to your house for a visit, and you would probably be offended if that person you found, you went upstairs and you find them in your bedroom going through your drawers, you would say, wait a minute, what are you doing here? It's not your business. You know, a visitor goes to the drawing room, the living room, maybe you have them in the dining room, and maybe they come in the kitchen and chat with you and have a cup of coffee. But you don't expect to see them going through the whole house, up in the attic, down in the basement, searching through every corner and nook and cranny. You would be offended, and in fact, you would probably kick them out, maybe even call the police on them. But if that person dwells there, if that person belongs there, if that person is like the wife of your bosom or your dear husband, you don't get offended when they go. You don't say, that's my stuff, I hope. Uh, maybe if you've hidden their birthday present there, you might say, what are you doing there? But hopefully you recognize somebody who belongs there, someone who is at home there, dwelling there, has a right to go through those nooks and crannies, and you welcome the Word of God into every corner of your heart. And so it dwells in you, and it dwells in you richly. And the word is, is a word of abundance. Let it dwell there uh, to, to an extreme degree. Uh, it's, it's talking about the um, amount. I mean, it's not just a little trickle. Let it dwell in your heart in a 
abundance, fullest measure. Now, for example, uh, if I said, if I made a proclamation that here at Trinity Baptist Church, we were going to be giving away gold today. Now, you would have to exercise social distancing and probably we would have six foot lines outside the building as you line up to get your gold. But uh, I would suspect that if people really believed that there was going to be gold given away as much as you could carry, people would come with a knapsack uh, and the stipulations would be you can't use a cart, you have to carry it. And so they would maybe find the beefiest person they could who could lift a lot of weight because gold is heavy stuff and they'd want to get as much as they could. But as I quoted earlier from Psalm 19, we're giving away free of charge something that is to be much more desired, much more to be desired than much fine gold. Why is there no line in the parking lot? Uh, much fine. We have a treasure. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Or children, you like sweet stuff, right? If I were to say that we were giving away chocolates, you know, your favorite candy, Perhaps, again, you would get your biggest knapsack and say, I'm going to go. And my, we have to stand in line with social distancing. Yes, I understand all of that. But you would want to get as much as your little mitts would carry. But the scriptures tell us, David again says, this is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. This is very desirable, the word of God. This is what we have. And so if you would want to get as much as you could of gold or candy... Stuff it in. Well, here's the command. Stuff it in your heart, the word of God, as much as you can. Open your mouth and let God fill it with good things. As we just think of that command here in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. What, what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, it means thank God for the Bible. We have riches right here. And there's not, it's not every country that has, not every tongue that has a good translation into their own language. We have how many? I mean, we have a plethora, we have our riches of different translations. You can compare and contrast. You can pick the one you like. We have good, up-to-date English translations. Uh, there's the older King James, New King James. We have New American Standard, ESV, and so on and so forth. But thanks be to God, we have the Word of Christ in our own language. And there was a time when that was not always so. There was a time when the, this book was a forbidden book for many. And some of us are old enough to remember the time when uh, in some churches, people were not allowed to read the Bible for themselves. Now we have it in our own hands. What does this Bible say? What is the word of Christ? If I may just very briefly 
Because I am aware that not all know what the word of Christ even says. What is the central message? It's a message about sin. The word of Christ is this, that it is a faithful saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So it tells us, first of all, there's something wrong with us. We're sinners, that we have disobeyed God. And you you look around, it doesn't take a PhD to understand the world is in a mess and it's not just the fault of a virus or a bat. It's the fault of men. Why is there a virus? It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. We're in a sin-cursed world because Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. It's a a message about sin. It's not just their sin, it's my sin. That I personally have disobeyed the God of heaven who gives me life and breath and all things. But it's a message about hope. It's a message that we need to turn from that sin, yes. But it's a message that there's someone who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to save sinners. And he is able to save to the uttermost, the scriptures tell us, all who come to God through him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, that is God's gift, you are saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not, understand me, any who have tuned in here, and I don't see your face, but you see mine. Not of works that no one should boast. There are churches today that say, oh yes, you need Jesus, but but you also need to do good. You need to do your part. And Jesus is not enough. And they might not say that quite that way, but that's the essence of it. That's not the word of Christ. The word of Christ is that he came to save sinners and he saves them to the uttermost, all who come to God through him. He's a sufficient Savior, and the grace is sufficient. And that's all you need. Come to God. Turn from the sin. Trust in Christ. Let that word dwell in you richly. The Bible is no longer forbidden to you. You can have your own, you can download it from the internet if you can't make your way to a store to buy one. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Take that to heart. There's a Savior for sinners who is Christ the Lord. You know, people are running out to the stores looking for toilet paper. And I don't mean to be crass. But what if the stores were empty of Bibles? We have the word of Christ. Let it dwell within you richly. And that means... Not only do we thank God for the gospel, the Bible, the word of Christ, and we, we take it to our souls, but we soak our souls in it daily and systematically. What good will this do again on your shelf? It's to dwell within you. Take it down, read it, pray over it, meditate on it. Think about what does this mean for me? I have a friend who is always saying, I want to take home message. 
What's the take-home message today? Well, I would put it this way. When you have your devotions, when you read your Bible every day, ask not a take-home message, but a take-to-work message. A take, well, of course, we're at home now. Uh, A take-wherever-you-go message. And apply it to what you do message. What do I need to hear today? It's in here. As you read your Bible, as you seek to have this word dwell in you, ask that God would write it there and convict you of your sin and so show you where you need to change and show you the way to change through grace, through the mercy of Christ. I would also say, if you're going to have this word dwell in you richly, you need to memorize it. Now, some of us, I'll put it this way, the golden age of memorization is past. We're at the silver age of struggle uh, to memorize. But I thank God that I had, I grew up in a church and my parents enforced this on us where there was a Bible memory program And we memorized scripture. Uh, Oh, yes, there was a contest involved, but uh, be that as it may, I still remember those things I learned more than 50 years ago. Parents, help your children. Work with them. They'll be faster than you, no doubt. But store this up in your hearts. Let it dwell richly when you pray over it. Pray over what you read. Ask God to give you his word day by day. But then the second point of this passage, going back to Colossians 3. Okay, that's the first part, the command, the imperative, the word of Christ. Let it richly, make it richly dwell within you. But then the second part is the mutual ministry that flows out of this indwelling word, he says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So in other words, what do we do with what we store up in our hearts? Of course, we apply it to our own lives. We live in the light of it day by day. But more than that, we help each other with it. There are times, no doubt, when when brethren are going through a trial, when dear friends are uh, having burdens in their hearts. You say, what do I say? Well, if you treasure up this book in your heart, some passage will come to mind. And it's not your word then, it's God's word. And we know that through the scriptures, we have encouragement and hope. It's the comfort of God's word that we need and that they need. And so... Yes, we apply it to ourselves, but we use it to teach each other. And so this is, as I said in my title of this message, this is that great source of all Christian teaching as well as praise. What do we teach one another? Well, we teach one another from the Word of God. Now, first of all, notice who's doing the teaching here. He says, and he's writing to the whole church, The saints who are in Colossae, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, plural, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. You you might translate it yourselves, but it's not just yourselves. It's, It's also implied one another here. And so there's a teaching ministry that all the members do 
to all the other members. You say, well, wait a minute. That's why we pay the pastor. That's his job. Well, yes, okay, it's our job. That's why I'm here. But it's everybody's job as well. It's not just the pastor's job. Now, thankfully, here at Trinity Baptist Church, we have five elders. That means there are ten eyeballs that can see various situations. Unfortunately, at present, we're not able to see too much because we can't get there. We can get on the phone, which we try to do, and follow up, make sure everybody's okay. But five people doing that, but you know, there's a lot that goes on that ten eyeballs will not see. That's why we need each other. You are your brother's keeper, and so we teach one another. Now, what do we teach? Again, not your opinion. It's not like we sit around in a circle and say, well, I think, well, I think. Well, you know, I, I used to say, or I heard this from my grandfather years ago, that and a dime will buy you a cup of coffee. In other words, it's worthless. Now a dime won't buy you a cup of coffee anymore. It takes like $5, but uh, it, it, you get the point. Your opinion doesn't amount to a hill of beans. But what does God's word say? And so we speak to one another out of the scriptures. We bring God's word. We're to be spiritually minded and spiritually tongued and use God's word to help each other. Let it dwell richly within you. It's not a selfish thing. Let it dwell richly so that you can apply it to your Husband, wife, children, parents, yes, parents, they, they may need a little reminder in a gentle, respectful way. Brethren on the phone, we get in touch with them. We remind each other, what have you learned in your devotions? What has God been teaching you lately? That would be good fellowship to speak with one another in this way. Now, notice, though, that this teaching is not just intellectual. When he says, teaching with all wisdom, yes, that takes wisdom, but even more you need wisdom for the second word he uses, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, this is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 15, 14, verse that you may uh, remember where Paul says to the whole Roman church, not just to the elders, but to the whole church, Romans 15, 14, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. It's not just the job of the priestly class. It's not just the job of the paid professional. Yes, we are all, he says, you are all filled with wisdom and all knowledge, goodness, and able to admonish admonish one another. And so there's no cop-out. There's no being able to say, well, that's not my job. That's the pastor's job. Let him take care of it. Well, yes, it is our job in a superlative degree, but it's also every member's job. Again, the elders have ten eyeballs. In this church, some churches, maybe only there's only two eyeballs trying to watch out for the whole flock. But that's not enough. Wherever you see a brother, and say, let's say you see a brother in hypocrisy. 
Now we're sheltered at home in this situation. Maybe it's husband, maybe it's wife. And you see that they're not really keeping the Lord's day today. They're slacking off. They're saying, well, the, well, the pastors aren't going to see me. And I don't mind if you're worshiping in your pajamas. That's not my point. But slacking off on the Lord's day, just doing entertainment and uh, doing your own thing, seeking your own pleasure, as the book of Isaiah puts it in chapter 58. And, and you say, well, that's not the way they used to be. What's going on here? Well, what do you do? You just let it slide? It's a dangerous path to start down. Someone put up on social media this past week a, a meme, a picture of what we will all look like in the first office meeting after this uh, quarantine is over. And you see all these people with big bellies and in sloppily dressed. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the idea is that they've let it go during this, this uh, COVID-19 quarantine. Well, don't let it happen on the Lord's Day that you're letting it go. And the first Lord's Day, we come back and we get a bunch of slobs in here because they've let it go the whole uh, month and a half or two months, however long it takes. And so what do you do? You don't need to call the pastors and say, you know, my husband, speak to one another. It says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing, that is, rebuking or instructing verbally with a view to correction, one another. So yes, you are, here's the point, you are your brother's keeper during lockdown, well, without lockdown. It's not just the pastor's job. Now, he puts in here with all wisdom. And I think that that's probably the problem and the reason why this is not done by many, because they think, well, I'm not wise enough. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to go about that. Um, one immature brother who's got uh, over, uh, overactive but half-instructed conscience and goes around to correct everybody else, he's not going to be a popular figure in the church. He may not recognize there are some circumstances, emergencies that uh, would be mitigating circumstances. That's why he says, with all wisdom. And that's why he says, the word of Christ. You need to soak your heart in the word of Christ. And that's where you gain wisdom. Jeremiah 8, 9. Let me just quote a couple of verses. The wise men are put to shame. Jeremiah 8, 9. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what kind of wisdom do they have? Hmm. Don't reject the word of the Lord. That's the word that you use. It's the word that gives wisdom. Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2.6. Where do we get knowledge? Where do we get wisdom? If I'm going to, with wisdom, teach and admonish, where do I get it? Again, if the word of Christ is dwelling within you richly. 
2 Timothy 3.15, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, not works, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If any of you lacks wisdom, James writes, excuse me, let him ask. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if I'm going to teach, even at home in this situation, I need wisdom. If I'm going to admonish, I need wisdom. And so we always come back to the word. We plead with God by prayer and by the word. We gain wisdom and instruction so that we might obey this command with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. I want to add just one word of qualification before we move on from this point, and that is that, yes, we still do need pastors and teachers. Some might say, well, look, he just says, you know, teach one another, uh, admonish one another. So we don't need to pay pastors to do that if we're all supposed to do it. Let's just all sit around in a circle and everybody do their part. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, if we didn't need teachers, then you wouldn't have anybody telling you to, with all wisdom, teach and admonish one another. And so we need people to teach us not only to do it, but how to do it. And that's why we need pastor teachers. In fact, Paul writes back in Colossians 1.28 of the ministry, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. You see that teaching and admonishing? Who's doing it? We, Paul and his helpers that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And I would take Colossians 1, 28 and 29. You can page back through the uh, sermons and you'll find them. I don't know, number 15 or so in this series. Yeah, we dealt with that. And this is a good description of what the Christian ministry is all about. Proclaiming Christ admonishing every man, teaching every man with the goal that each individual, that's each one of you out there and in here, would be presented complete in Christ. And so, yes, we need pastors. And it's the pastors who train the members to do this work. Without pastors training, how, how would this happen? In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 11 and 12, it says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers or pastor hyphen teachers for the equipping of the saints. What are the pastor teachers to do? To equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The church is not a one-man show. It's not a place where one person does everything. Now, unfortunately, we have here this morning uh, two, three, four, five, six people. But it's not saying that we're the only people that count in this whole church. It's just the situation of this lockdown, quarantine, shutdown situation. But there are a lot of people behind the scenes 
There are a lot working together to care for this large flock. The pastors train the members and members. I know some would debate this, but for me it's, it's clear. Members, the saints, are doing the work of service. Each member has a part. That which each member, every joint, supplies. Every member is important in this church. And so, how does that happen without pastors to lead and teach and direct and instruct? And so, yes, even though Paul says here to the Colossians, teaching one another, admonishing one another with all wisdom, it's not to say that, well, then my job is superfluous. Now, one last thing as we come back to the overall teaching of this passage, this verse in Colossians 3, Colossians 3.16, Paul zeroes in on one way in which we teach and admonish one another. He puts it this way, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, uh, some versions divide these two things and take the first half of the verse and say, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Semicolon. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that what we do towards God is uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And what we do toward one another is teaching and admonishing with all wisdom by the word of Christ dwelling within us richly. And putting a, a hard and fast line between those two activities. But I don't believe that's the best translation. And most versions, New King James, New American Standard, put it, uh, don't have any division between the two. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so uh, this view, I believe, is more correct, and it's, it's again backed up by what we read in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul writes, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so it's obvious there in Ephesians chapter 5 that the speaking is done by means of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, the same three words, same three uh, uh, groupings of, uh, of hymnodry, if you, if you wish, uh, same three terms there, but speaking to one another by these means. Here we have teaching and admonishing one another through these means. Now, of course, it's not exclusive. It doesn't mean that if you're going to teach the brethren, you have to have a rhyme to it and a tune. Uh, or if you admonish one another, you better make it a sweet tune. Uh, that's not what he's saying. We can do that just by direct verbal means. But this is one of the means by which we teach and admonish one another. Now, I don't want to get into a big debate here about these three words and what they uh, refer to and so on, but I do want to add a note here because for some that's an issue. And I would just say here, and I, w I will quote from Trench, but I've, I've read many commentaries, and uh, Lightfoot, Calvin, Trench, Hendrickson, to mention just a few, they're all agreed 
that uh, there's no definitive characterization or categorization of three different types of Christian singing uh, indicated by these three words. That we can't be uh, dogmatic and say, well, this refers to this kind of song, and this refers to that kind of song, and this refers to the other. And uh, it's very difficult to trace exactly uh, what category Paul was referring to. Let me quote Trench. All right. Trench says this, when some expositors refuse even to attempt to distinguish between them, these words, they urge that St. Paul had certainly no intention of classifying the different forms of Christian poetry. This statement, no doubt, is quite true. So R.C. Trench in his synonyms of the New Testament says, we, we can't make definitive classification of different forms of Christian poetry based on these three terms. But Trench goes on to add this. Still, each, each of the terms must have had a meaning which belonged to it more and by a better right than it belonged to either of the others. And thus it may be possible, and this meaning it may be possible to seize even while it is quite impossible with perfect strictness to distribute under these three heads Christian poetry as it existed in the apostolic age. And you can find this in Trench's discussion of these three terms. Now, he proceeds to differentiate them or to say, well, they probably had this slight difference among them. He says, in all probability, notice how he's hedging his bets, in all probability, the psalmoi, the psalms of Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 are the inspired psalms of the Hebrew canon. He then goes on to note that Augustine, in more places than one, states the notes of what in his mind are the essentials of a hymn. So the second term, hymn. He says... These are three. It must be sung, it must be praise, and it must be to God. So a hymn, Augustine says, refers to praise directed to God specifically. The spiritual songs, he says, well, that takes up everything else. Topics of a more spiritual nature, not necessarily praise, but maybe more instruction. As we see in the book of Revelation especially, there's this word... uh, um, that the term here, spiritual songs, songs is used with the word new, the new song, which is praise of the worthiness of the Lamb. Now, certainly, you don't find that directly, explicitly in the Psalms of the Old Testament. And so what do I, what do I mean here? He's talking about all kinds of Christian poetry that's sung. Singing with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, whatever those three categories are. And and I think that Trench is probably right in giving uh, at least a hint of the broad outlines of what they speak of. We speak to one another as we sing. And we sing to God because at least hymns are praise directed to God. Now... Coming back to the point in Colossians 3. As we sing, we are both singing praise to God, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God, to, the, to our Savior, to our Father, to the Spirit, the Trinity. 
But we're also speaking to one another. Now, here we have six people. And so when we sang earlier, we were singing not only to God, but singing to one another. How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors. But as we sing to each other, we also express this desire. We long to see God's churches. For we express that to him. Your churches. But we're teaching one another, encouraging one another, as well as singing with grateful hearts to God while we are singing his praise. And so we find it also in the biblical psalms that not only are there psalms directed vertically as praise to God, but we find horizontal Psalms, which if we could put it this way, are directed to exhorting one another. Let's just take an example. Psalm 95. If you turn back in your Old Testament to the book of Psalms, Psalm 95, it writes, it is written this way. It, it reads, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Now there's joy expressed to the Lord here, but it's an exhortation to one another. Let us sing for joy. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. Now, God is speaking. They tried me, though they had seen my work. Now, just to pause there. Of course, there's praise to God in this psalm. He is our maker. He is a great God, a king above all gods. There's praise to him. But there's exhortation and teaching and admonition to one another as this psalm would be sung. And so, when we sing to one another, we're instructing and admonishing each other as well as singing with thankfulness to God. Let me just quote. I won't sing, I won't do a solo, don't worry. But just to quote some of the hymns from our hymnal. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can bring me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear the awful load. This is teaching. It's teaching that our salvation does not depend on what we do, not what our hands do, not what we feel, not what I feel or do. And yet that's what many teach and that's what many believe. Well, if you feel good enough, if you feel the right way, you'll be saved. If you do the right thing, you bow the right way, you pray the right, then you'll be saved. And this hymn is, is instructing us based on Scripture, the Word of Christ, as we read it earlier, as I referred to it, that it's not what you do. And so when we sing these words, we're praising God for the salvation that comes through Christ alone, but we're instructing 
those around us from the word of Christ. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds, worlds under judgment, in these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head. Not my righteousness, not my good works, not my doing. Jesus, your blood, your suffering, your death, and your righteousness, that's enough for me. As worlds go up in flames in judgment, I'm safe in my Savior. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul, I to your fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We're singing instruction. It is, again, not our doing. We don't bring anything to God. We don't claim anything that we deserve from his hand, for we deserve judgment. We look to Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What does he mean, the sweetest frame, the frame of the pulpit? I dare not trust the sweet. He's talking about frame of mind and heart. I dare not trust the sweetest feeling. Oh, I, I had such a blessed time. I feel so good. You know, that's not the basis of your salvation. The sweetest frame, you can have the most blessed day and go to hell. It's not what you feel. It's not what you do. These are the lessons underscored again and again in what we sing. It's what Christ did. It's all Jesus. It's all his work. I don't trust how I feel. I don't trust that I've prayed enough, that I've suffered enough, that I've been a good enough person. You haven't been. You haven't prayed enough. But Jesus did. He is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. That's the good news. That's the word of Christ. And we teach and we admonish one another. And if I may say just by implication here of this, this third point, that our songs need to be filled with the word of Christ. They need to be based on scriptural truth. And that's my problem with much of contemporary Christian music. It's all about how I feel. It's all about what I do. Give me songs that exalt my Savior. Whether new or old, let it be packed solid with Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within us. And let our songs be packed full of the word of Christ. Solid truth conveyed in song. That's the kind of singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that will indeed teach and instruct. And as you, I, I, it's interesting, driving here, something popped into my head of a song I'd heard uh, when I was in high school, and I sang a line of it for my wife. You know, the songs that we sing, and our, your kids, well, not here, but they're at home, and they hear them, and they sing them, that's going to stick with them. 
and they might not respond to it right away, but you're singing scriptural truth into their heads, into their hearts. May God bless it to that end. So teach one another. Teach your kids. Kids remember songs a lot more than other things. There was a, our, our daughter especially liked uh, music. We had a lyrical science tapes, and she learned a lot of stuff that she would have otherwise forgotten a long time ago because it was put to rhyme. Sing. Let it soak into your heart and your kids' hearts. Now, as we wrap things up then this morning, let me apply with four words of application. First of all, brethren, here's the direction. Here's, here's your take-home message, take-to-work message. Be in the Word of God, Word of Christ. In other words, soak yourself in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures will soak into you. Be in the Word of Christ daily. If you don't read this book, if you're not meditating on this book, you can. it's impossible that His Word will dwell within you richly. Let me ask the question. How much do you read your Bible every day? Fifteen minutes? Five minutes? One minute? Zero? Brethren, how can you obey this command to let it dwell richly within you if you're not even opening the pages of your Bible? You know, uh, I remember years and years ago, uh, counsel, I heard, I guess it was my mother talking about other couples, other young couples, not directed at me specifically, although I suspect she wanted me to get the message, that don't marry somebody expecting that you're going to change them after the wedding. Uh, what you see is what you get. You, you marry that person, you love them as they are. Well, here's the wonderful thing about the scriptures. When they come and dwell in your heart, they don't just take you as you are and say, well, forget about it. That's, he's going to be like that. The word of Christ, when it dwells richly within you, it changes you. It works on those things that need to be worked on. Now, again, you don't want your husband or your wife nagging you and saying, change this. Are you going to do that again? You get tired of hearing that. But I hope you don't get tired of the word of Christ coming to you again and again. And we need it again and again. Saying, stop that. Don't do it again. Don't go back there. And you went back there. And you come back and repent. And you take the word of Christ. And it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you plead that again. And you let that word dwell and change. You let it soak in and do its Wonderful work like leaven through your life. You want it to change you. You plead with God to change you. And the word of Christ is that means of sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prayed. Your word is truth. So that's the first word of application. Take it off the shelf. Whether you use a hard copy, an electronic copy, use, use the Word of God. 
Let it soak into your life. Let it dwell richly within you. Secondly, in times like these, you need it more than any other. Romans 15.4, one of my favorite verses. I have a whole stack of them, so don't ask me which one is my favorite of favorites. But Romans 15.4, For whatever was written in earlier times, he's referring to the Old Testament, Of course, we can apply it to our new as well. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. How are you going to persevere without encouragement? How are you going to keep going without hope? Where do you get that? The encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We need it. We need that help. We need that push. We need something to pick us up. The scriptures come back to the word of God. The word of God gives life. Third application. Use this book, use this word with each other. Not just in our hymnals, and I thank God for our hymnals that they are filled with scripturally uh, based truth packed hymns, not, I wouldn't, you know, give a blanket recommendation of every one. I have my unfavorites there, but uh, don't ask me which ones. Thankfully, we sing truth, but we have truth here. Use it with one another. Teach each other. Admonish each other. Help each other with this book. And may the result be that Trinity Baptist Church is as holy a bunch of redeemed sinners as you can find on the face of the earth. And what's the means? It's the pastors, yes. The word of God preached, yes. But helping each other day by day is one of the means. We are, you are, your brother's keeper. Use this book to that end. Then the last word of application is this. You know... I said earlier, we have here much fine gold, much better than much fine gold, more to be desired. You know, as you look at the world around you, maybe your world's crumbling. Well, here's a solid rock for your soul. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, the hymn writer put it, all other ground is sinking sand. Take up the book. Read the word of Christ. Don't fight it. Put down your rebellion. It's your pride. It's your stubborn self-will. Take up the book. Read of the Savior. Pray that God will open your heart to understand the book. Maybe in the past you've resented being, how you said, I don't want that forced down my throat. But you, you need it. Come and ask God to open your heart and understand and receive that it's not your doing. It's what Christ has done. And he's able to save you to the uttermost. You! Come to God. Through him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is living and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it is the word of Christ. It speaks of our Savior. It points to our Savior. It exalts our Savior. And as we sing Scripture truth to one another, as we speak it, we ask, O Lord, that you would take it home to each heart. We know there are hearts that are aching and broken. We pray that you would minister that encouragement and hope that comes through the Scriptures. Use us with all wisdom in each other's lives to teach and admonish. Keep us from unwise harshness, misunderstanding in our admonishing and teaching. Help us to be sensitive, cautious, loving, gracious. Let our speech be with grace, as it were, with salt, seasoned so nicely that it goes down easily. But help us to be clear. And then we pray that you would help your people here at Trinity Baptist Church not to become slack, not to use these days at home in binge-watching and self-accommodation and letting ourselves go to pot spiritually speaking, but help us to use these days to the most that we would grow thereby. And so may this word dwell richly within each one of us now, yea, until you take us home or the Lord Jesus return. We pray in his precious name. Amen.